Fort is Dacha Hardiochiga Agron River Trucha de Vruni Bavidish Lumhain Johnny Dillon. You're welcome along to episode 30 of Folklore Fragments, the podcast from the National Folklore Collection, University College Dublin. Now, for this edition of the podcast, we are going to troop out into the fields and forests, traversing bogs, moors, hills, heights, and streams, and exploring the phenomenon known in tradition as Shahran Shi, translated in English as fairy straying, along with a slightly different though related phenomenon referred to in tradition as the stray sod. These phenomena can be broadly defined as acute disorientations that unexpectedly beset individuals traversing the natural landscape, often being attributed to supernatural or otherworldly causes. On many occasions the fairies were blamed for sending wayfarers astray, though tradition also holds that certain points in the natural landscape are enchanted and have the power to bring profound fits of confusion and bewilderment on those who tread upon them. Such enchanted spots were known in Ireland as stray sods, and, so-called, were at times understood as marking the spot where an unbaptized child had been buried, or on occasion being understood as simply resting in the landscape as liminal entry points to the other world. Wayfarers who step on the stray sod, or who are sent astray by the fairies, typically become confused, deranged, and lose their way, even on familiar ground, and narratives relating these experiences often describe the strange and frightening nature of them. That the most popular antidote to such enchantment was to turn an item of one's clothing inside out, thereby reversing your situation to order again. This account from our school's collection of manuscripts was recorded in North Children County Cavan, and it will provide a nice example, I think, an overview of the phenomenon. It reads, It is said that a woman here happened to walk on a stray sod about 15 years ago. She was coming home at about midnight, on Pat Bond's hill she stood on the stray sod and immediately lost her way. She knew the path perfectly well as it was quite near her home, but when she stood on the stray sod she didn't know where she was. Her lantern went out and she thought she was in a strange country with mountains around her and crowds of little people gathered around her and she couldn't move. She spent several hours unable to move and in the end she said a prayer and immediately all disappeared and a neighbour's dog came to her. And she next found herself at Pat McGoldrick's door in Tully Lovefin, a short distance from the place where she lost her way. Her hands were torn with whins where she had been trying to grope her way, and it was when trying to get through the whins that Dog came to her assistance and brought her to, to the neighbour's house. Anne Phil and James Pryor brought her home, and it was seven or eight months before she was herself again. It was about four or five o'clock in the morning when she arrived at the neighbour's house. And for any listeners there who are unfamiliar whins, are also known as firs or, or gorse, a kind of thorny uh, bush. It's popular, common all over Ireland. So this body of belief is widely attested to all over Ireland, but is also expressed in the lore of the peoples of Britain, Scandinavia, and all across continental Europe. Uh, however, as so as not to stretch ourselves too thin today, we're not going to wander off around Europe. We're going to stay close to home for the most part, confining ourselves solely to the to the Irish accounts and those descriptions found in the manuscript archive and sound archive of the National Folklore Collection. Now, while the causes and circumstances of this otherworldly disorientation may vary, they are united by the sudden bewilderment and confusion in which wayfarers struggle to regain a sense of their surroundings, often travelling for extended periods in the wrong direction, experiencing the reversal or disappearance of landmarks and bearing witness to strange or otherworldly visions. In the following example, the occurrence is borne out briefly. This account is taken from our main manuscript collection and was collected by Michael J. Murphy in Baileybrook in County Cavan in 1954. It reads, There's such a thing as a person going astray at night, and when they go astray they see things they wouldn't see at any other time. When some people go astray they see a big blue mountain in front of them, and no matter what side they turn, they see the same blue mountain in front of them and it blocking their way. Some people would see a big river in front of them. More people would see houses and places that they never saw before. And the same time, in a lot of cases, they'd only be a couple of fields away from wherever they were going to. This next account, taken from our sound archive, was collected in North Dublin in 1980 from Matty Seaver, and it relates how his father went astray in the roads one night, having returned from a wake. Now, Matty, I'd like to ask you about fairies. Can you tell me what... Did people generally around here believe in fairies? No, they didn't believe in fairies. But I heard my father saying that he was at a, He went off down to a wake down at Melbourton. And as he went down, he could hear this crying going on. And as he thought that it was, 
It was a, what they call a, uh, a leprechaun or something like that. Mm -hmm. A fairy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what it was, a fairy. And he had, no, a banshee. That's what it was. And uh, he heard her crying in any case, and he went out after her to see what it was. So he went to follow it, went crying away off for a moat. And he followed it, but he couldn't see it, but she was half crying. And uh, that was all that I ever heard him talking about it. But there was one night I was coming home from Skerry's, myself and another man. And uh, it was about 10 o'clock, and we walked from Skerry's then up to Beldungan, mm -hmm. along the road all the way. So when we come to this cross, just ahead for home, there was a, a road touring to the left to bring it down into Skerry's again, and the other road would take us home. And for Lusk. So, whatever happened to two was because the two was part in the ditch hmm. after coming from Skerry's. So, we asked, the fellow says, What happened? I don't know what happened, you see. Very strange to see the two was born. So, that was all right. We didn't put pass on that. So, I was telling the fella after some time about it, in a couple of three years about it, what happened. And I told him that. So, I, uh, What's it see? I was coming home from Skerry's one night to see, walking. And when I come to that corner to see, I wheeled to the left to see, I didn't know where I was to see, I'd be blowing hackets down. And I come to where there was a big old bush, and I know the bush where it was, on the side of the road. And a lonely old spot it was, there was a kind of a crook in the road. And he uh, said to me, to see, it was then to see, I found out where I was to see. Good to see, sure I'm going back to Skerry's again. So he had to start and walk back a mile, a mile that he could have abided. So whatever happened there, I do not know. But I was coming home on through my own field one night, up from the bog lane, and out in the middle of the field coming across where this gap was supposed to be. But because I couldn't find the gap. And I started to go for another gap. And I couldn't get that. And I had to stand, I said, I'm going the wrong way. I had to stand in for a while in any case to see for to see where could I find the south or the north. And I could get neither. It was dusk, it wasn't real dark, it was dusk, about six o'clock in the winter. And uh, because after a while then I come to me recollection and I walked straight for the gap. Mm -hmm. That I should have walked for first. Well, as far as I think, I don't know. But I often heard tell, I often saw fairy rings in the fields long ago. As has briefly been mentioned, Shahran Shi or strange traditions manifest as an otherworldly disorientation in which individuals are forced to navigate an area characterised by its sudden shift into unfamiliarity and strangeness. Tilled fields that are worked by day become unnavigable and impassable by night. Well-worn and intimately known paths, crossroads and laneways are rendered odd, unknown and foreign all at once. The landscape at times becomes unrecognisable, indefinite and nameless. Landmarks are erased, inverted or otherwise replaced with new and unidentified features. Grand residences and strange houses appear on the side of hitherto barren hills. Impenetrable fogs, mists and coloured hazes descend and disorientate. Rivers, ditches, woods and walls appear to block all progress through the landscape. Lights rise and float in the distance and familiar reference points fall away, leaving the experiencer to navigate strange and foreign terrain which is at once indeterminate and unknown. The following example relating to the Ballymahan Mullingar Road in Carrigedmont, County Longford, makes reference to the sudden shifts in the surrounding topography that are characteristic of straying narratives, as well as expressing the subsequent confusion felt by individuals as they attempt to continue on their way. It reads, At this certain point, people come along, and before they are aware of it, something happens to them like having to put up their boot to tie a lace, and when they start out again, they find that the appearance of the road changed. Even the trees which grew along the roadside look distorted and take on peculiar shapes with the result that they invariably face the wrong way, and although it might happen that sometimes the person going astray would be walking in the correct direction, they'd find themselves turning and walking back in the opposite direction as a result of losing their bearings. 
These acute disruptions are generally characterized by their occurrence in the areas surrounding the domestic commune of the town, village or house, typically taking place in the fields and roadways that stretch out to the unclaimed world of the wilderness, the unpopulated territories of hills, woodlands, boglands, pastures and mountains. It is perhaps only natural that this should be the case, given the commonly expressed belief that the fairy host or ancestral dead, though invisible and unseen for the most part, were thought to exist alongside the human race in close proximity, populating the more remote and lonely portions of the countryside. Those spaces where the signs of human activity were either entirely absent or where old ruins and forgotten landmarks had been reclaimed by their natural surroundings almost entirely, their meanings and significance no longer understood. It's this conceptual connection between the other world and the natural landscape that underpins the bulk of these narratives, echoing the commonly expressed belief that the fairy hosts were believed to inhabit a secondary or hidden scenery which intertwined with our own, and that though remaining unseen for the most part, the good people, so-called, tended, as one individual from County Cavan related, to be so close to you that they could hear what you'd be saying. In referring to this phenomenon, the Reverend Patrick S. Deneen's 1927 dictionary Folklore Gaelge Berle defines Shachron as wandering, straying or delusion, with Shachron Shi defined as a straying caused by fairy influence, and elsewhere as fairy-induced straying or aimless wandering. Translation of the Fodzin Maral, the Irish equivalent of the stray sod, is stated simply as a place where one goes astray. Nyarl itself is translated with the words error, mistake, random, confusion, stupefaction, dizziness, wandering of the mind, rage, fury, storm, tempest and wrong course. This next account from Larry Tierney in Knockmitten, County Dublin, 1980, describes how a person would step on the stray sod before losing their way, and though they might be brought to the gap in the field by their dog, they wouldn't recognise the place and would continue wandering around lost. And a stray sod now, you can go to a certain field, and they take us in here in the back of us, bring us to the darker in a few minutes, up at the top of our field. And if you, oh, it must be, in, it must be something wrong with you though when it happens. That's why we have to go up. Tommy will tell you that he happened to him and my brother this day. <coughs> if you put your foot on that sod. Yes, be in that side. Oh, that's day, a stray side. Stray side. That's a, a, so day, side, yeah. that's a stray one, a holy one, yeah. And a dog will bring you to the gap a hundred times, a thousand times that night, but you won't trust the dog. It's still, you, you can't yeah. see the gap. You lose your way. It must, you lose your way. Mm. That's the, that, that's the well, stray side. Well, there's nothing there, isn't that's, it? That's the stray side. The well, there's side, nothing yeah. there. As well as being characterised by their typical occurrence in the peripheral spaces of the rural landscape, chakron or straying experiences tend to be contextualised in tradition by their occurrence at night. Indeed, the majority of narratives of this type tend to occur not in the daytime but by night or after the arrival of dusk. The fact that these accounts typically occur in failing light or under cover of darkness should come as no surprise, given the sense of fear and uncertainty associated with nightfall a time when supernatural and otherworldly phenomena and apparitions are perhaps more likely to manifest, and a time that is less conducive or favourable to the conducting of human affairs. This recurring motif points to an intuitive logic within this body of tradition, namely that an individual travelling alone through remote spaces under cover of darkness exposes themselves to more risks of a natural or supernatural variety and menaces than those who do so by the light of day. It also stands to reason that an individual will be more likely to lose their way or otherwise misinterpret natural phenomena while travelling across the countryside at night, in fading light or while tired. In a sense, this body of lore and folk belief is framed by ideas of boundary. Peripheral spaces serve as the grounds upon which individuals tend to chance upon the stray sod or be sent astray with the fairies, and temporal boundaries likewise are marked in these narratives with consistent reference to dusk and nightfall as contextualising elements. On this note, it's perhaps worth bearing in mind that though ever present, the fairy hosts were thought to be largely invisible in daylight, but would, as an account from County Cavan relates, be knocking about people's houses from sunset to sunrise. Straying narratives point towards the manner in which both spatial and temporal boundaries are communally understood, with popular belief and custom, as much as natural features or landmarks defining a given space, as the following County Cork account, collected in 1929, describes which states that 
There are certain places which the fairies have power over at night, and if anyone goes into them after dusk, he cannot come out until morning, though he may be walking all night. There was a fellow going home one night. He was coming from a neighbour's house a couple of miles away, and it was rather late. There was little roads in them times, only footpaths across the land. Well, anyway, he lost his way, and he was groping about for a long time, and he didn't know the devil where he was. This other piece, related in the first person, describes how It was very late at the time when I was crossing the field. The rabs, the field is called. Well, I was wandering around all night and I couldn't find the ditch, and it was half past four in the morning when I got home. These accounts, though often featuring unusual or otherworldly experiences, are essentially rooted in the commonplace happenings of everyday life, and it is from these points that they generally depart into the experience of confusing, frightening or otherwise potentially hazardous forces. The protagonists at the centre of these accounts are often individuals working the land or returning from social engagements, farm labourers tending to cattle or preparing to travel throughout the night to bring their livestock to the fair feature prominently in these accounts, as do individuals returning home after a day's work or having visited a wake or been out socialising at a house in the locality. This following account was collected from Stephen Crohan in County Roscommon by Barbara Lee Lynn in 1979 and it relates to the narrator's father's experience in a field at dusk. He told me he was crossing the field another time, coming back from the walk road. You know, you know where Mulligans is now to walk, you know, just come down the field and you're onto the left road, don't you? You know where Tracy's house is now to walk. Well, you just cross the field down and you're onto the Lensborough road. Well, he was working late in the evening, and was just coming into the twilight. And he left Mulligans after quitting and hopped across the, the ditch, do you see, and down the field, as he thought, onto the Lanesborough Road, and going round about the field, and finally got out on the road, and was hitting for his common, he thought himself. And next thing he met this man on the road, and he said, Tommy, he says, um, are you hitting for Lanesborough? I'm hitting for home, said my father. He said, if you keep going the way you're going, he says, you're not going for home. He says, you're for Lanesborough, you're going. Huh? Led a stray on the field in there. He was put on the road, on the road for Lanesbury, wasn't it? And, 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 and he called sober. Did you ever hear that happen to anybody else? Huh? Like that? No, there's an old fort in that field, too. Is there? Yeah, sure. It's a fort there in the field, the Smiths at home. Will you go up there in the herd? Huh? What's the, uh, what's the fort? The fairies in the fort. Did you hear the, the, the case in Longford there? Didn't you see the case in Longford there about four years ago? This next account, taken from our manuscript collection and translated from Irish, relates how those on their way home late at night, having been out socialising or calling to houses in the area, were often sent astray. It reads, There was a boy who was working as a farmhand for Johnny Griffin in Ballycarbury, whom they nicknamed Patsy. He was one of the Griffins. He was an airy sort in himself, and every night he would go dancing or playing cards all over the town and it would be late at night when he would be coming home. Well, he stayed late enough this one particular night. They were playing cards, and he went to go home, and his house was down by the shore. Off he went, and if he did, he met with no house, and he kept on, and always thinking he would meet with the house. He never met with any house, and he was walking on endlessly. He had no idea where he was, but walls and fields and hedges of all sorts around him. I know the place where this happened well, and the man to whom it happened. The boy himself was telling me, and telling everyone else who was in Ballycarbury, but they wouldn't believe him. But the people of the house believed him, as it was approaching daybreak when he arrived. They thought it was playing cards he was in some house, but he wasn't. Now, dear listener, you know what to tell your significant other when you stumble at the door at 6am after a heavy night out. This account from our sound archive collected from Tom Shanky describes how a man coming home one night was led astray by a fairy woman who he followed through the fields until morning. And when he was coming back with the cabestrans in the evening, he came on to the to, to where there was a, a gap of pence, you know. And uh, I told him that he didn't go short and home that night. And he came in in the morning. And he said when he came to this place that a girl called him and said, Come here. And he said, I should walk on up there. He said, I, I said, well, you know, he says, I got here. 
In addition to the experience of disorientation and confusion so prevalent in straying narratives, there is regularly depicted the illusory nature of the experience. A narrative collected in the year 1938 from one band Vicustula of Mitchellstown, County Cork, describes the illusory qualities associated with the straying experience when a local man who had gone astray found himself in a neighbour's land and had to clamber through bushes and ditches for much of the night before rediscovering the road and returning home, only to find that when he looked at his clothes the next day they were in fact quite clean, devoid of any signs of the previous night's struggles. Further examples of this sort present themselves in an account from the Arda area of County Longford, where an individual who was sent astray in the field surrounding his farm apparently crosses a river in the area without his clothes ever becoming wet. Further examples are to be found in the following narrative from Moycullen, County Galway, which describes how a man walking alone one night in Galway was said to have been, and we quote, out walking the road in the Loch. He walked past the lake by the side of the road there, and he soon saw fine gates and trees on all sides as would be seen in a place leading to a big house. He knew well that there was no such place in the spot where he was. He turned again to the lake, and on his return neither the trees nor the gates were in front of him. Another thing like this happened to him at Crook on the Bree, another night, he told. He was put astray three times, and when he found himself on the right road in the end, he thought that every stone in the wall was being toppled with all the noise that was going on. But the next morning, the walls didn't have the appearance of being disturbed at all. The presence of deceptive images or sounds are not uncommon in straying lore, and are further conveyed by accounts in which an individual who has gone astray has their way blocked by an out-of-place or hitherto unknown landmark that manifests suddenly. In the following manuscript account, collected from Philip Shannon in County Cavan, a high ditch appears in his path, imposing itself as a shifting and unknown feature. The piece relates, There is a field at Corotinner near the Blessed Well, and I knew plenty of people used to go astray in it. One night I was going to a spree, and I went across the hill by the Blessed Well. It was about half eleven or twelve o'clock at night. When I came on to the rock, there came a redness before me, and I travelled on and on, in every place I would go, there was a high ditch before me. The following County Westmeath account features a similar motif when an individual is unable to meet with a party of people he can hear in close proximity, and on reaching the road he understands it to be the River Shannon. It reads, About thirty-five years ago Marty Dalton came out of his own place across the railway line. It was about seven o'clock, just after nightfall. He was going to the wake at James E. Clavins's. He came out through Brian Clavins's and over the stile at the end of the house. He saw lights and heard people talking on the other side of Kelly's field coming up the Bodrine. He went to meet them to be with the company to the wake. He kept walking and walking and walking, but he couldn't meet the people, though he could hear them. He crossed the bog and the railway line and on over to the Lara Road. This would be about a mile away. He saw the road and he thought it was the River Shannon. He threw a stone and heard it plop in the water. He turned back and saw Tom Kelly's old walls and saw the 2am train passing, and he knew where he was. He had been travelling from 7pm to 2am. He had only to cross a field to get to the wake, and he knew every inch of the ground. Another account collected in To Assist County Kerry by Irish Folklore Commission Archivist Sean O'Sullivan further illustrates this motif as a visual element in a straying narrative and it concerns an individual who, while out castrating bull calves for a neighbour, wanders into a patch of briars and brambles before being set astray. It reads, I travelled on until I came to a river. I made out that I wasn't right. I saw the town. I knew it well. That had been on my right when I was going west was on my right this time. I decided I should travel west, and I walked a mile and a half, and realised that I was as bad then, and that I should go east again. I spent the day like that. When I would try to get to the spot where I had castrated the bull calves, I wouldn't be long gone until it seemed there was a good stretch of sea before me. That would stop me. And when I would go onwards, there would be the sea before me. I was taken very far that day, and was afraid that I would never again find the town. Though conspicuous mention is regularly made to forts, raths, holy wells, or specific landmarks within the body of these accounts, there are also many accounts in which direct description of blame to other world agency is lacking. The following excerpt was collected by Jim Delaney from John Kenny of Kiltoom, County Roscommon, 
and concerns John's experience while out in the field tending to one of his cows at dusk. It was put astray. We had a cow in the land we have now in Carrick, or Armullen if you like to call it. It's in the division of Rock Hill where we have the land. Mm. It was part of Strevens' land. And we put over this cow in it. We had three cows more at home and four cows was too much on the bit of ground we had around the house and we put over this cow to this land. And they went to milk this cow for Sunday evening. And uh, uh, it was late when I went to milk her and it got dark very quick. There was a shower coming. Mm. And when I got into Strevens' land, I lost my bairns and I had the can of milk. And at the time of a winter's evening that I got into Strevens' land, it would be about half past five. And it was half past eleven at night when I got home. And half I don't past twelve? Half past eleven. Yeah, but you said, what time did you get into the land? Half five. Half five. In the evening. Oh. And it was half eleven when I got home, and I had only about a pint of milk in the can. Hitting it again walls and hitting it again everything. <laughs> you didn't know where you were? I didn't know where I was. And I didn't come to my bairns until I saw Strebens' hay shed, and how I got there I don't know. But when I saw the hay shed, I knew where I was then. Yeah. But when I got out in the avenue, I was as bad then. I didn't know whether right or left I turned for home. And it's into Strebens' I went, and I had to inquire there, to sh- and they had to come out and show me the way out. And then I knew where I was. She won't half a mile from you, won't a quarter of a mile from home. I that wasn't a quarter of a mile. Yeah. And that's sharp enough. Oh. And what happened to me, I don't know. I never could know. And I was in the best of health and walked into that field and thought I was going straight for home. The remarkable part of it all was. When I was walking, I thought there was water ahead of me all the time, and I was keeping away from it. Now, wasn't that funny? Mm. That I was going downhill into this big pond or river, and I used to turn away from it. And when i go a certain distance, the water would appear to me again and show me another direction. But my grandfather, I heard him to say, that if I turned my coat, left down the can and turned my coat, I'd come all right. Mm. You heard that, did you? Yes. Now, say about your son. Hmm? Ever since that? Ever since that, I don't go into that field. When I used to be going to look at yours at night, I'd bring a lamp with me, but I'd make sure I wouldn't go into this particular field. <laughs> I had a dread of it ever since, ever since. because I, I don't know how much I walked. I could walk 10 miles. I probably did. I did. You can, quite, you, can co- you, you can count now from half five to half eleven. You did two miles an hour anyway. I did. Probably more. And I was as tired. I nearly collapsed when I went in. I was that tired. Extraordinary. Didn't it? Delaney transcribed an addendum to this interview in one of the manuscripts, which states, This account of Kenny's going astray is interesting, because there's no element of superstition in it. It shows how this peculiar phenomenon still exists. There are many such accounts from older people than Kenny which I have collected, in which the narrator accuses the good people or fairies for putting him astray. Here is an account of going astray without any of the traditional trappings, the peculiarity about all these accounts is in the person's way being blocked by a sheet of water or sometimes a high wall or fence or wood. That these narratives do not necessarily refer to the fairy host or express specific aspects of the supernatural in their telling is not to say that they are not in large part dictated by its context, products of customary belief and practice that feature expressions of the marvellous in the ordinary and mundane occurrences of domestic life. An account collected by Joseph Odale from Michal O'Shea, a 91-year-old farmer living in Carsulderby, County Kerry, recounts his having been led astray for a night and describes his sudden transportation to a spot 20 miles away, 
but does so without making any explicit reference to any supernatural influence throughout the piece. It is only when an explanation for the experience is sought by the collector that the narrator is steadfastly reprised, the good people, who else? It is fitting that it is most often the liminal or fringe areas just beyond the domestic space that serve as the sites upon which straying narratives play out, themselves territories bordering the known and the unknown, as the fairy host epitomised notions of liminality at their core, especially when taking into account the origins proposed for their existence in Christian tradition, which suggested that they are the souls of fallen angels who were cast down from heaven by God on account of their pride, and who now exist on earth somewhere between heaven and hell in a state bordering on limbo. These sentiments give shape and form to the popular understanding of the fairy host in tradition, a hidden, observant race of indeterminate status thought of with a mixture of trepidation and ambiguity. These narratives, in attempting to explain the strange phenomenon, tend to account for the cause of the experience by referencing figures who inhabit a liminal or in-between realm alongside our own, be they the hidden race of the fairy host, or, as is borne out in the following account, the dead, specifically the souls of unbaptized children. Those children who were still born or who died shortly after birth and whose unconsecrated graves occupy some portion of the landscape were at times believed as the cause of the stray sod. This account from County Galway describes how, and I quote, Sometimes it happens that a person at night misses his way and finds himself in some field from which he cannot get out. He may continue travelling round the field and fail to find the gate or gap, although the opening is undoubtedly there. If he turns his coat inside out and puts it on in that fashion, tis said that he will succeed in finding the gate. Some people say that the Fodzine Mara is caused by walking over a grave where an unbaptized child is buried. A note written by the folklore collector P.J. Gaynor in an account from County Meath ascribes the existence of the stray sod to the presence of the grave of an unbaptized child in a particular field, and goes on to further explain the reasoning behind this belief. I quote, I once heard an explanation, I can't recall the name of the person that gave it to me, as to why people went astray when they trod on the spot where an unbaptized child was buried. An unbaptized child is in darkness, and will continue so till the day of judgment, and when a person treads on the spot where that child is buried, he walks into the darkness. He is surrounded by it, and consequently he goes astray. I have heard another explanation of the stray sod. In days gone by, when a funeral was about to leave from the home of the corpse, the coffin, containing the corpse, was left in a layer of straw outside the house, and when all were ready to start on the journey to the cemetery, the coffin was raised up on the shoulders of four men, and the funeral then set out for the cemetery. The belief was that, if any of the straws upon which the coffin had been resting was blown by the wind and dropped in a nearby field, the sod where it fell would become a stray sod, and anybody passing over it at night would go astray but the belief that the stray sod was over the grave of an unbaptized child would seem to have been the more generally held belief. Some folk believed that it was the fairies that set people astray. So, here presented are customs and conceptions surrounding straying beliefs that locate them firmly within the liminal other world of the dead. Dan Lynch of Monalty, County Meath, the individual from whom material relating to the above was initially collected by P.J. Gaynor, related how he never heard that the fairies brought people astray, and material collected from the Midlands traveller Oni Power in 1932 expressed the belief that a stillborn baby should be buried in the corner of a field where no one might walk on its grave, otherwise there will be a stray in the field. Concepts of liminality and the unknown are central themes underpinning these narratives, and given that these experiences most often occur in the regions at the edges of the domestic space, it's natural that narratives regarding them should point to figures who inhabit unknown realms beyond the bounds of the community when attempting to explain for their occurrence. In addition to the above are a separate grouping of narratives in which is recounted the appearance of lights that lead the traveller astray. These apparitions are at times described as manifesting faintly in the distance, and in other instances appear in a blindingly close proximity, both instances generally resulting in the experience of bewilderment and loss of direction and on occasion causing varying debilitating states of madness, weakness, illness or death. It is when considering the appearance of such luminescent phantasms that we are presented with the singular disembodied figure of the ignis fatuus, literally foolish fire or jack-o'-lantern phenomenon. 
The earliest literary sources in the English language making reference to the Ignis Fatuus or the Will o' the Wisp are to be found in William Fulkes' 1563 publication Meteors, in which the spectacle is described thus. He writes, There is also a kind of light. It is seen in the night season, and seemeth to go before men or to follow them, leading them out of their way unto waters and other dangerous places. It is also very often seen in the night of them that sail in the sea, and sometimes will cleave to ye mast of the ship, or other high parts, sometimes glide around about the ship, and either rest in one part till it go out, or else be quenched in the water. This impression seen on the land is called in Latin ignis fatuus, foolish fire, that hurteth not, but only feareth fools. In the Irish tradition, popular conceptions express more or less the same pattern as those outlined in the passage from Fulke's text, though the apparition is more commonly referred to by the epithet Jackie the Lantern, Sean and Lampe, or Solus She, a fairy light, or Willie the Wisp. Tales accounting for the existence of this apparition often do so with reference to the lost soul of some scoundrel or trickster, who, being too scurrilous and licentious a man to gain entry to heaven, was at the same time ingenious enough to outwit the devil, subsequently resulting in his refusal of entry to hell, and was effectively banished to a state of limbo and doomed to wander the earth until the day of judgment. This next audio account collected by Barbany Lynn relates the story of Will o' the Wisp, of how he outwitted the devil and how at his death was refused entry to both heaven and hell, wandering the earth as a liminal figure with a candle or lantern which he uses to send wayfarers astray. Well, Willie the Wisp was an old blacksmith, and business was very bad, near above to be earned. And he says there was only one hope, that he sell himself to the devil. So the devil arrived on the scene, and says, Willie, I'll sell myself on condition, he says, that you give me three promises. Well, says the devil, what a way to lose, he says, uh, what are the three promises? That anyone I put sitting on that three-legged stool that's there in the forge, that he can't get up off until I tell him. And any man I tell to take up the sledge, that he can't lay it down until I tell him. And any money I put into this little purse that it cannot be taken out until I take it over myself. So things were going well for Willie for five or six years. Huh? The devil arrived just day and Willie was terrible busy showing lack of horses. Huh? Come on, says the devil, you're coming with me. Sit down there for half an hour, says Willie, and I'll, I'll be with you. So the devil sat down on the three-legged stool. So Willie kept him there for three or four weeks, <laughs> sitting on the stool, he couldn't get up. <laughs> and uh, when he got up, the devil went away mad. But Willie was after catching him out, so... Willie kept working away, and next thing, the devil arrived again. Come on now, he says, and you come with me. He says, will you have a few cultures here to steal? He says, take up the sledge and give me a hand. He says, when we have the culture steal, he says, I'll be with you. So the devil took up the sledge, and Willie kept him sledging for five or six weeks. The devil couldn't lift all the sledge. And next thing, Willie let him off. <clears throat> there was nothing to be done. Willie had to let him go. And the devil went away mad again. So after six or seven weeks, the devil arrived back. And Willie wasn't terrible bad circumstances at the time. And he says, come on, says the devil at the time. I cannot go with you now, says Willie, until I get a few pints. But I have no money, says the devil. Well, says Willie, I'm not going until I get me a few drinks. You have the power, he says, to change yourself into Anthony. He says, change yourself into a half a crown. So the devil, fair enough, he changed himself into the half a crown and Willie popped him into the purse. <laughs> Closed the clip on us. Willie had him in the purse for three or four weeks and no business turned up, so finally Willie had to speculate, so he went into the pub and parked the half a crown on the counter and drank his lock of pints. And the devil went away mad. And, come on now, after a few weeks he arrived back, come on now, he says, you have to come with me, you can go to hell now, says Willie, I'm not going with you. Well, four or five years after Willie died, 
and he went up to the gates of heaven and St. Peter took out the book and he started to look through the ledger. He says, I cannot find your name here anywhere. He says, you'll have to go down below. So Willie hit for the bottom deck and oh, Nick saw him come and he locked the gates. <laughs> he didn't want to have any more got to do with Willie. So Willie went back to Peter. Well, now, says Peter, you're not in this book. He says, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. He said, the only thing I can do with you, he said, here's this candle, and you go out into the exterior darkness, and when that candle is burned out, you can come back to me. And the last time I saw him, it was about that lint. How long since you had About 30 years ago, 35 a similar manuscript account collected in County Cork relates how Willie, quote, had to come away from the gates of hell. He took a lantern and he coming off the gate and ever since he's going around the world with the lantern. He won't be led into heaven or to hell and he'll be going around until the end of the world. So that's the light that's seen along the sea and on the land. When it is seen on the sea it's a sign of bad weather. Tis light to put people astray on the land. The above instance citing Jackie the Lantern's perpetual limbo renders him in a state quite similar to that of the fairy host and the unbaptized dead, residing neither in heaven nor hell but being located in an in-between realm as liminal personae whose typical habitations in isolated portions of the landscape are themselves spaces of the unknown. Featuring in the archival sources are a range of methods through which individuals may extricate themselves from the forms of supernatural enchantment which we have just described. Given the sudden and unanticipated nature of these experiences, the tendency is towards practicing prescribed countermeasures to resolve instances of disarray being experienced. In this sense, there are typically conveyed within these narratives expressions of sympathetic magic, that is, the ritual use of objects or actions symbolically associated with the event or person over which influence is sought. A popular example of sympathetic magic that most people will know would be a voodoo doll, for example. In other instances, prayer is employed to bring about a cure. On occasions where there are expressed no specific cures or remedies to the bewilderment suffered by straying individuals, reference is often made to the ultimately temporary nature of the experience, with disenchantment coming about naturally with the arrival of mourning. An instance of sympathetic magic featuring most prevalently in the archival material and printed sources centres on the notion of reversal. Individuals who found their surroundings inexplicably altered and were subsequently unable to find their bearings, it is said, would often turn an item of clothing inside out in order to restore their situation to order, a practice that was understood to be particularly efficacious as a countermeasure to fairy influence and with numerous references in literature. The following account was collected by Jim Delaney from Patrick Johnson of County Westmeath and relates his experience of being put astray hearing the fairies laughing at him in his confusion as he wanders through ditches and hedges. Did you ever, ever see a fair? Hear any stories about the fairies? Uh, I did. I the hear good, them. The good people? Ah, yes, the good people. I hear them myself. Did you? Oh, God, I did, so. Whereabouts? Well, there in Castletown, now, there's an old house in it belonging to the Dailies. Yeah. The old house is standing there yet beyond. And uh, that one ever went through it would have put a sea. No. But I was coming from Moat. And now I had three pints, and three pints was nothing to me that day. No, well, I hadn't the price of any more. No, no getting them. Yeah. Only tuppence a pint. <laughs> and we got. You weren't talking. I was walking home, and I was. My head a bit down, knew the path, everything. But I went up to the path. Mm. And I couldn't get this a stay, and I kept going. And I knew what to do, and what I was told to do if I was put astray. Mm. It was very common that time now when I was about 30 years of age. I often heard of it Oh, it's terribly com common. So because I took off my coat, I was always told, mm. and turned it. That's right. And I put on my coat, and I took off my cap, and I turned my cap. Yeah. And I blessed myself. And I was nearly a bit afield. Yeah. Now, says I, you can go to blazes in my own mind. I'm right. Yeah. I started again. Yeah. I found nothing but a ditch before me. I met a wood, I thought. And I met a wall. Oh, God, I says, this is such a wall near a bridge. 
that I knew. And I got out across the wall, and by God, when I got out across the wall, I was into a wood of trees. And I stood, and I looked. And I got in a terrible way. I said, I am rightly knocked about. I go back, I said. I could remember well crossing the wall yeah. and keep my own heads. I, 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 I get back anyway. Yeah. So I got back, and I went along this ditch, thinking I was going right still. And the next thing I heard was laughing. Titter laughing, you know. I know, I know. Not how real loud, but playing, I know. And I thought I could hear talk. I says, this is me books. And they're laughing at me, but I'll, I'll keep firm. I won't be a fair. Yeah, so yeah. I sat down. And I stayed sitting down for about a quarter of an hour. And I says, hey, sure, I'll have to go home. I'll get going now. And I got up. And I turned the coat again. They might be wrong for me to turn me coat. Yeah. I left the coat on the way it was again, and I started as hard as I could, and I found myself into a scrub bushes, a whole lot of cockerhorns. Mm-hmm. And I could hear them dying laughing every side of me, but couldn't know. You'd think such a one would say, this way, this way, this way. And I'd go that way oh, a sure. bit. And I was gone wrong again. And then there'd be a bit of a titter of a laugh again. So I, uh, they were playing hell with me. I never knew where I was and I come to a river. The river that's out there now. And I could hear the water tribbling along, rolling in the water. Oh, because I isn't this the river? And my house, as I know, is be the side of the river. And I followed the stream. So I kept coming the river. And when I come out there in a field in Castletown, I could hear them more so laughing, more piano. Mm. Right, a whole crowd, I thought there was 40, 50 the minute. And I, and the spot all opened up to me. Mm. And I could see the trions in the field. I could know well where I was, and I come in. I see. Well, that happened to me. Yeah. That was the good people. Your eyes got clear then? Yeah, my eyes got clear. It yeah. was something that said, like, a veil they're able to put on your eyes, yeah. or a cloud. I often heard of it And before. that you'd imagine you were going, and I'd swear that night I was going right. Yeah. Oh, I was going wrong. I often heard stories from men that were put astray like that. Prayer, too, was often utilised as an ordering force by individuals who found themselves going astray, as is described in the following account collected in County Galway. It, it reads... There is a cure for the stray sod, my mother Moira told me when I was young. When you feel the stray sod coming on you, go no further but stand up and say this short prayer. May God show me the way and the journey in this time and forever. When you have said that, take off your hat or your coat and turn it. That is, put the inside out and the outside in. Then you will be all right. Taken as a whole, the abrupt and unanticipated nature of the straying experience lends itself towards a body of lore and custom that utilises sympathetic magic or recitation as the primary method of disenchantment. These narratives, even when taking place in spaces reputed for sending individuals astray, tend towards the acute and unforeseen, critical instances in which the experiencer must be ready to respond. That being said, there are featured in tradition preemptive practices that attempt to safeguard individuals from the magical influence of specific places or spirits. In particular, bread was seen as being an antidote to the power of supernatural or malign interference. It's being carried in the pocket of an individual who is going to embark on a journey. An accountant from Porig of Lahartig of Caharbulig, County Kerry, describes this practice while adding an additional detail suggesting that bread alone is insufficient to protect an individual from the influence of the fairy host stating that one should not take a piece of bread with them, quote, without having something tied around it, for if you took it on its own you'd be the worse for it, as you wouldn't reach the house until you threw it from you, for as long as you'd be carrying it, the good people would be putting you astray. So, Shachran traditions and beliefs are rooted in the natural landscape, with peripheral liminal spaces serving as the borderlands upon which individuals tend to experience the phenomenon, and temporal boundaries likewise being marked and set out within the bodies of these accounts. When explaining the strange and sudden forms of supernatural disorientation experienced by individuals travelling through the rural landscape, reference is consistently made to spirits beyond the bounds of the mundane realms of the human community. 
Herein are displayed sentiments by which the wider landscape is ordered and arranged, in that it is not understood as being inert and unchanging, but dynamic and subject to potentially drastic and sudden shifts. These narratives, then, and the body of lore and folk belief that they comprise, replete with dramatic abstractions and ornate aesthetic qualities, offer insight into the mechanisms by which the rural landscape has been humanised, mapped out and maintained, not only according to physical demarcations and boundaries, but to metaphysical ones. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the podcast, and if you like the material described here, you'll find more on our online platform, www.duchas.ie, that's D-U-C-H-A-S dot I-E. Uh, and we at the National Folklore Collection are online on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and so on, so be sure to drop us a line there with any queries uh, regarding our collections or the topics discussed here. In the meantime, I hope you're all uh, taking care out there, and until the next time, slán.